Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. When you start to switch to processed foods and you switch to say, uh, you know, say cookies, which is highly processed, of course, you can eat. Like you finish a buffet, you could still eat a cookie because there's something about the processing which sort of bypasses the natural satiety hormones, the satiety mechanism, which is the point. The, the processed foods are going to make it much harder for you to know when you're supposed to stop. So the point is that in any diet, you just want to avoid highly processed foods. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Dr. Jason Fung. He's the best-selling author of Obesity Code, a kidney specialist, and an intermittent fasting expert. He founded thefastingmethod.com to provide evidence-based advice for weight loss and managing blood sugars by focusing on low-carb diets and intermittent fasting. We discussed reversing type 2 diabetes with fasting, what's wrong with calorie restriction, along with hunger and fasting, overcoming weight loss plateaus, hormonal benefits of fasting, can fasting slow aging, and his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. I was so grateful to have Dr. Jason Fung on the podcast. I've been a big fan of his since he came out with Obesity Code in 2016, and I really enjoyed the interview. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have Dr. Jason Fung on. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Brian. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. I, uh, your book, um, Obesity Code, and you, I know you have a bunch of books, but Obesity Code was the one that brought me into fasting and learning about it. And that was what, I think in like 2016, that book came out. And uh, anyway, so I'm excited to have you on. And, uh, you know, I know you have the fastingmethod.com and a lot of different cool platforms where you know, you're trying to sort of spread this way of healing. Um, and maybe tell the audience a little bit about, I know you're a nephro nephrologist, how you got into, you know, all things fasting and, and dealing with insulin and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a, a nephrologist is a kidney specialist. So I went to UCLA, I went to university of Toronto for my internal medicine. And then I went to UCLA for my nephrology and I practiced for the first uh, 10 or 15 years, more or less uh, conventionally. And the, uh, the problem was, of course, there was a huge epidemic of obesity happening. And then shortly after there's this big obesity uh, led to the type two diabetes. So that's what I was seeing a lot of in my, uh, in my uh, office, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we all thought that just simply giving medications to reduce blood sugars would reduce this sort of epidemic of uh, kidney disease, uh, but it, it wasn't. And in 2008, 2009, it was clear that that sort of thinking was completely wrong. And as I started to think about it, it really uh, dawned on me that the entire way we had been approaching it uh, as physicians was quite incorrect. That is, what we we're trying to do was correct the blood sugars 
Um, but we weren't really looking at the root causes. So if you, if you simply look at the term diabetic nephropathy, it tells you what you need to know. That is diabetes type two. And remember that type two is like 90 to 95% of, of diabetes overall. Yeah. So when I talk about diabetes, I'm talking mostly about type two, but type two diabetes was causing the kidney disease. So in order to make an impact, you got to get rid of that type two diabetes. Now, at the time, of course, people were saying that type 2 diabetes was a chronic and progressive disease. If you had it, you, you know, it just got worse until, you know, you developed all the complications. But even as we were saying this kind of stuff, every single person knew that it was just a lie because everybody knew that if you lost weight, your type 2 diabetes would either go away or get a lot better. And we had tons of studies to prove this, of course. Mm -hmm. So the problem wasn't that type two diabetes was chronic and progressive. It never was. It was just a big lie that we told ourselves to make ourselves feel better. The problem was that we weren't getting people to lose weight and that's why their diabetes was continuing to progress. So I got very interested in the question of weight loss, mm -hmm. because if you lose weight, then you don't get your type two diabetes or you can reverse your type two diabetes then you don't get the diabetic kidney disease. So following that sort of root cause, you can't treat things at the kidney disease stage. You're way too late. You're, 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 you know, you've let the horse out of the barn. You got to get it before that happens. So that's where I started to think about it. And, and honestly, the entire sort of science around weight loss, which doctors and dietitians had all been sort of uh, taught was again, very, very simplistic and, honestly, like it was what, what I learned and all doctors learned was it's all about calories in calories out. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, to lose weight, you simply had to eat fewer calories or exercise more. And that was accepted standard wisdom. It still is actually to, to a lot of degrees. On the other hand, again, everybody who's in the field knows that's a complete lie because we've been telling people this for the past 40, 50 years. And it has helped almost. <laughs> so right. you have a strategy where you have a success rate somewhere around three to 5%, say, so 95 to 98% failure rate. It's and like the biggest, think, it's like the biggest loser example. Yeah, you it's the make. biggest loser. So you can do well for six months and then right. they virtually all regain that weight. Um, so again, you have one exception, for example, in the biggest loser, like one person out of like three seasons might keep that weight off, uh, which is again, sort of 90 plus percent failure rates, everybody else fails. And, and, and it's always striking to me that people always blame, blame the people, right? They always say, well, those people have no willpower. It's like, did you watch the show? Like, did you see them? Like, Right. work out until they threw up. These people are not lacking in willpower. They just had the wrong information as to how to really be successful because they're all following this whole calories in calories out strategy. And so the science of it was that people were so focused on calories and said that other issues were not important, like, you know, the horm hormones, um, you know, in our body. And, and, and of course, our entire body runs on hormones. That is if you take two foods, one uh, cookies and one is say salmon, mm -hmm. the minute you put that in your mouth, your body responds to it completely differently. So yes, they have the same energy. That's what 
calories are. It's right. food energy. So yes, they have the same amount of energy contained within that cookie or and contained within the salmon or the egg or the broccoli. But the, the, the hormones are completely different. So what your body does with those calories is completely different. Your body has a choice. You put those calories in, you could store it as body fat or you could burn it as energy, right? You have lots of energy, you generate body heat, you know, you're have, you want to go running or exercising or whatever, right? So you can store it or you can use it. Same number of calories, but what your body actually does with that depends on the hormone. So say, say for example, you take a hundred calories of a food and insulin's very high. Your body instantly shuttles that into body fat because it's storing it. That's body fat is simply a storage form of calories. That's all it is, not, nothing more or less. So you take that those 100 calories, your insulin's high, you shuttle that immediately into your fat stores. Okay, well, your body has no energy. So you're going to want to go get some more energy because you need to, you know, right. body heat and you want energy to go for a walk or whatever, right? So it's like, of course, the hormones are important. But the people who had been talking about calories, calories, calories have been busy denying that it had any relevance to human physiology. It's like, but human physiology runs on hormones. Everything runs on hormones. So that was the big disconnect. And so that's where I started talking about sort of like the hormones and the insulin. And, you know, there's a lot of debate, of course, because people are all about calories, calories, calories. And it's like, yeah. You know, it's not helpful that that whole discussion is not helpful. And I'd be I'd love it if it was helpful, because then I'd know what to tell people. Right. The same thing I had been taught, but it wasn't helpful. So we have to learn the sort of nuance and the people who just talk about calories. They're so simplistic. They, they, they just say, oh, it's about, you know, thermodynamics. It's like, but neither the calorie model or the hormonal model breaks the laws of thermodynamics. What we're saying is that you take those calories, you shuttle it into your fat. How does that break the law of thermodynamics, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had Dr. Ben Beekman on, and he, he he talked this, you know, about the same thing regarding obviously insulin and and the calories and calories out. It's just too too simplistic. The body's much more intricate and complicated. And why don't we touch on some of the hormonal responses and and some of the the things that the role that fasting can do on your hormones and how that's different than like calorie restriction. Yeah. And this is the important thing. So fasting is not only a way of eating fewer calories because it can do that for sure, but it's also a way to reduce your insulin because you're not eating. So that's the natural response. If you don't eat, your insulin's going to go down. When, when your insulin goes down, there's a certain stereotyped response that all human bodies do. That is, you increase these counter-regulatory hormones and you decrease insulin, all of which is basically telling your body to take the calories from your storage and move them out into circulation, right? So mm -hmm. remember, if insulin's high, you're giving your body instructions to store calories. If your insulin's low, you're giving your body instructions to burn calories. So if you don't eat for a day, for example, say you normally eat 2000 calories for a simplistic you know, calculation, yeah. 2000 calories, but today you don't eat anything. So you have zero. So your body will take those 2000 calories from your stores of body fat. That's it. That's right. all. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing else to it. So everybody says that it's all about calories in, calories out, but they're completely wrong. 
because if you look at the energy balance equation, so remember, this is the, it says body fat equals calories in minus calories out. There is no such thing as a caloric deficit, right? There's three variables. There's body fat, there's calories in, calories out. And that's three variables that always must balance. That's right. the point. So if you increase the, uh, say you decrease your calories in, you eat less, right? You could decrease your body fat, but that's only two of the different variables. There's mm -hmm. another variable that is your calories out might go down. So you eat less, but you burn less and body fat stays the same. That does not break the laws of thermodynamics, right? So people say, well, you just have to eat less. It's just thermodynamics. No, you, those people are so like they, they think that there's only two variables, calories in, calories out. But you remember your body fat has a store of say a quarter million uh, calories just sitting there. So if you reduce your calories in, you could reduce your body fat or you could reduce your body energy expenditure calories out. And guess what? Every single study that we've done, like the biggest loser studies shows that when you simply reduce your calories but don't pay any attention to the hormones, Right. then your calories out actually goes down. That's been shown for the last like 80 years of scientific research. Like, so, so that's the point is how are you going to reduce your calories in, but try to keep your calories out stable? Well, fasting is just a good way to do that, right? Yeah, and I think there's this misconception that they eat a bunch of small meals throughout the day that, and, and calorie restrict that that's going to do the same thing as totally abstaining from food and just having maybe eating in a small window, but the hormonal differences are really the key. And, you know, I, when Megan came on, I asked her what would be one tip you, you could give someone and that would be not to snack. Um, and this is what I, like you talk about in your book has changed from like, let's just say the seventies till today is, um, we thought we had to eat all the time to feed the brain and, you know, have energy, but we have plenty body fat to have enough energy we have plenty of body fat stored to have energy where you could fast, you know, hypothetically, if, if you're, if it's right for you, you could fast for days and be completely fine. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the, this whole idea is that when you fast, you're setting up the conditions and you don't have to fast. You could do this with other ways, right? So you could eat three meals a day, like in the seventies, you could eat three meals a day and still, right. still access your body fat as long as you're not eating all the time. Yeah. So the whole point is that when you're fasting or you're sort of what you're doing is in addition to the calories, because it's, you're, you're allowing your body to have that access to the store body fat, right? So if you simply lock away that body fat and you can't um, access it, and you do that by keeping insulin high, of course, and you can do that experimentally, but just by giving people a lot of insulin, um, mm -hmm. Then what happens is if you think about energy balance equation, that is body fat equals calories in minus calories. So if your body fat is sort of fixed, then you reduce calories in, then your calories out will simply reduce. Right. right. So you're almost Therefore, slowing your metabolism. As, you as will better. slow your metabolism. In fact, that's what every single study of these diets has shown for right. the last 50 years, right? So the, the, the point is that it's, it's very important to keep an eye on both of them. And, um, you know, and that's what the, a lot of the diets do as well is that they're, 
better uh, at that because say some foods release more insulin than other foods. We know that that's just a scientific fact. What yeah. we're saying is that that is an important aspect. It's not the only aspect, right? right? Because there's things such as, so there's insulin release to food, but there's also sort of your baseline insulin levels and so on. So uh, all it means is some foods are more fattening than other foods, right? And this is just common sense. Like you ask your grandmother, she's like, yes, cookies are more fattening than eggs, right? That's just common sense. Like, or if cookies are more fattening than broccoli, like who gets fat eating broccoli? Like nobody ever in the history of mankind, right? So the calories people say that, hey, cookies are just as fattening as broccoli. Those calories are equally fattening. And it's like, it's a stupid thing to think, right? But yet there's people out there like scientific meetings where they just talk on and on about, it's all about calories. Those insulin people are stupid. Like, like, I, don't, I don't understand <laughs> How would, they can understand, like yeah. how they can think that. Uh, what would you say as far as, you know, prescribing, obviously there's a lot of different camps regarding eating, right? That's the one thing I sort of like about fasting is, yeah, I mean, obviously if you're eating clean and, and foods that maybe don't have labels on them, uh, fasting will be easier. Um, but on the other hand, I love fasting in the sense that there, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not in one camp or the other, right? You're either eating or you're yeah. not, you're consuming calories or you're not. Yeah. Are there certain, like, I obviously, you know, keto, um, you have you know, keto, you have carnivore, you have vegetarian. Is, is there a certain camp that maybe if you have a client, I know you have with the fasting method, you do, you guys do a lot of coaching. Is there a certain, um, roadmap that you take people on as far as types of foods they should be eating and in, a, in like a certain camp? Um, the main thing I tell people in, I don't think it's controversial at all, actually, for foods is one, try to avoid sugar. I don't think that's particularly controversial. <laughs> and two, eat unprocessed foods, which again is pretty uncontroversial. So right. um, the, the whole thing is that it's not simply um, processed carbohydrates, but processed fats and processed proteins as well. Like it's just sure. better to eat natural foods. If you eat natural foods, your body will know how to handle it, including telling you when to stop. Because everybody thinks that people just eat, eat, eat until they like explode. But that doesn't actually happen. Like if you go to a buffet and you eat, you know, way too much at one meal and you try to put in another like pork chop, it ain't happening. You're like nauseated. Like you just can't do it. It's a very powerful sensation to stop. So when you eat natural foods, you will stop eating at a certain point because you will be full. You can't overcome that that's like all those competitions that they used to have oh eat this 80 ounce steak and we'll give it to you for free they're not giving a lot way a lot of free steak <laughs> right. because you can't do it because it's a lot of protein and fat but when you start to switch to processed foods and you switch to say uh you know say cookies which is highly processed of course you can eat like you finish a buffet you could still eat a cookie because there's something about the processing which sort of bypasses the natural satiety hormones, the satiety mechanism, which is the point. The, the processed foods are going to make it much harder for you to know when you're supposed to stop. So the point is that in any diet, you just want to avoid highly processed foods. So processed foods and uh, sugar in, in, in general. So there's different ways. You could even eat a relatively high carbohydrate meal 
uh, as long as you do that. The other, um, you know, the other thing, of course, that fasting does is it provides, other than you can, you know, it works with any diet, but it provides you a structure as to when you're supposed to be eating. And this mm -hmm. is extremely important because if you have no structure, then you basically eat. And unfortunately, this is the situation we're in now where people tell you, first of all, that you need to eat, eat, eat. Like you got to eat breakfast. You can't skip breakfast. You're going to die if you skip breakfast, right? And it's like, you know, your body can handle not eating the A meal. meal. Up right, right. Because, you know, again, people are like, oh, you have nothing in your stomach. But you have a quarter million calories sitting in your body <laughs> fat. You know, your body can access those because you have, you've just finished sleeping, right? Insulin is going to be down. You're going to be able to access as many calories as you want because that's just the way the body works. Like if we had to make sure that we got up and put a muffin in our mouth within 30 minutes, like we wouldn't be here as a species, right? right. When we were cavemen, there was no muffin for you as soon as you woke up, right? right. It, it's ridiculous to think that that actually makes any difference. So the, the whole point is that, you know, you know, you can eat breakfast if you want. You can't, you can not eat breakfast if you want, but the fasting gives you this structure where it says, okay, well, you're going to eat here and not here, right? right? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, there's nothing else, right? Whereas nowadays you go around like, and it's like, oh, you can eat breakfast if you want. You can eat snacks if you want. You can eat lunch if you want. You can have another snack if you want. You can have another snack if you want. Then you can have dinner. Then you can have an after dinner snack. And then you can have a before bed snack. Well, now right. you're up to like eight times a day and you're eating constantly. And unfortunately, when you do studies of how people eat, this is how people eat today. Yeah. And, and, and I think you've even mentioned in your book, like <clears throat> no one's going to promote fasting per se, right? Because they're trying to sell a product. <laughs> and, you know, you know, you see a lot of now, companies with like these fasting bars. And I don't know, I just think it's, it's a lot of marketing, but what would you say? Um, cause I think some of my clients, including myself, I've been doing intermittent fasting for a long time. And, you know, let's just say someone's maybe plateaued. Let's say they've been doing 18, six, um, where they've been in a fastest state for 18 hours and have a six hour eating window. And they've, you know, maybe they just want to lose more weight or, um, and, and they've sort of lose more inches around their waist and they've plateaued. Would you, what would you recommend to that individual? Well, there's certain sort of levers that you can play with, right? So if you're trying to lose more weight, then you can do different things. One is you can try to change the fasting. So you could do it longer, you can do it shorter, you can do it time. So you don't have to. So what you can do is you can, instead of eating, uh, say you, you do sort of lunch and dinner, for example, well, you can move that up and have breakfast, lunch and then skip dinner because eating late at night can be problematic. And this is probably, again, not news, but um, you know, if you eat a giant meal, like just before bed and then you go to sleep, well, what's your right. body going to do with all that, right? It's sleeping, it's recovering. It's not using any energy. Well, you're going to store it all, right? So eating late at night is not particularly good for you. So you may want to switch it. So even though if you're doing an eight hour eating window or four hour or, you know, or one meal a day, you can switch you instead of eating, say, dinner as your one meal a day, you can eat lunch as your, or breakfast as your one meal a day. So you can do different things. Uh, in terms of fasting, there's also different ways to do it. There's sort of um, 
classic fasting, which is water only, but there's also these variations with like teas and coffees and bone broth and all this sort of stuff. So you could change it. So you do sort of cleaner fast, for example, or you could say, I'm going to do like use these fasting sort of training wheels, which is what we call them and do it longer or do it more frequently. Right. So there's actually infinite variation uh, with that. And um and then what, what what about alternate day fasting is that a, po- a popular method that you, you use with clients or patients um yeah i mean alternate day fasting is just another schedule of fasting so okay. it's uh yeah it's basically what people want to do like if if they want to you can like you don't you don't have to if you don't want to you know, it, you, you want to try and build yourself a routine, which gives you sort of the structure. And that's what alternate day fasting does. Um, you know, so, so, so that's, okay. that's the best thing. What, what, what are, um, what are some of the other benefits regarding fasting other than just, you know, perhaps losing inches around your waist? What are some of the other benefits that you see with individuals? Cause I, I find, I, I like it for the mental aspect, um, just the mental acuity throughout the day. Um, but what are some of the other benefits that you're finding? Yeah. So there's actually quite a few other, uh, benefits that you can get with, uh, fasting. I mean, not only do you have the weight loss benefits, but for type two diabetes, for example, uh, you can control blood sugars because if you don't eat, of course, your body's going to burn that sugar. If it burns that sugar, then of course you're going to feel, um, your, your, your sugars are getting better. You need less medications, for example. So that's, a very good strategy for that. The other thing uh, is that you may feel more energy and that's something that people are either surprised at, that they get more energy during fasting. They say, oh, well, I should have less energy. It's like, no, I- again, it's, it's just pure physiology. There's nothing sort of voodoo about it. When your insulin goes down, your counter-regulatory hormones go up, including activation of the sympathetic nervous system. So noradrenaline and so on. So when you don't eat, your body actually isn't shutting down. It's actually ramping itself up. So you're going to have more energy when you fast. Same thing for mentally. You're going to be more mentally sharp because your body is actually ramping up, not shutting down. So um, again, and people sort of know this instinctively, um, but people get told this all the time. Oh, you know, I have to eat to concentrate. Well, you know, think about a time where you ate a huge meal, like Thanksgiving, like after your Thanksgiving meal, do you feel very sharp? Or do you right. want to just sit on the couch for a little while, right? Uh, you think about the hungry wolf, the hungry wolf, is it very sluggish and just falling down? And it's like, uh, no, it's, it's sort of dialed in focused and ready to kill. So the, the sort of mental benefits, the sort of energy benefits, uh, the way they feel, it's, it's really, um, it's really got a lot of benefits to it. And uh, just, you know, there's, there's other more theoretical benefits like autophagy, for example, yeah. which is a, a, a sort of a cleansing mechanism within the body. Um, that's a more theoretical thing. I mean, it happens, but what pure benefits you can sort of uh, tangible benefits, you can say it's hard to, hard to know. Yeah. Do we know this is because uh, uh, cell cleansing autophagy, um, do we know, is there a certain time where, where that might kick in? You know, I know the body does it naturally, even probably overnight sleeping and stuff, but is there a certain amount of time that perhaps autophagy might kick in more during fasting? 
Yeah, and it's hard to know exactly for sure uh, because it's hard to measure, but it's yeah. probably somewhere, uh, you probably get a little bit overnight, like 10 hours, 12 hours. Remember, people used to eat dinner at six o'clock and breakfast at like eight o'clock. So you're talking about 12 to 14 hours of fasting, right? So you're probably starting to get there. Probably by 18, 20 hours, you're getting into good uh, levels of autophagy. We know that because in autophagy is where your body sort of breaks down cells. Uh, it sounds really bad. It's like, oh, breaking down protein. It's like, well, it's not just breaking down protein. What you're doing is getting rid of the stuff that you don't need. So if you break down protein, then what you want to do at when you start eating again is to rebuild that protein, which is what happens because growth hormone is a counter-regulatory hormone. So when you fast, you break down protein, but your growth hormone is high. When you start to eat, it, that hits that growth hormone and then you rebuild, but you only rebuild the stuff that you need because your, uh, your body's not going to rebuild protein that you don't need. So therefore, that's a way of sort of cleansing and rejuvenation and so, for example, we've noticed in our clinics that people, even when they lose a lot of weight, they don't have a lot of excess skin mm. because they're probably activating that protein burning, that autophagy, and therefore not getting that excess skin because the body doesn't want any excess, right? It wants to be just perfectly in line with where the environment is. So if you have excess fat, you know, excess skin to cover that fat, well, it doesn't need it. So it's going to burn it off for energy. That's, that's what we've noticed. We actually have never sent anybody for skin removal surgery, mm -hmm. just because they just have so little, so much less of that problem. So, so those are some of the benefits that we've noticed. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's just one of the, the, the great things about fasting. And I know I noticed you've, you've done a few blogs and some YouTube videos regarding longevity and fasting. What, what can you comment about that as far as the mechanisms regarding fasting and longevity? One of the things in terms of animal studies of longevity is that um, animal studies, the only consistent thing that really extends longevity is calorie restriction. Um, and you know, even back in the 40s, there was talk about, hey, if we have a nutritious diet, but simply restrict calories, then uh, animals live longer. That might apply to humans, but of course, you can't ethically do any kind of study like that. Right. So it's always a bit of an extrapolation, but from animal studies, it's pretty consistent. So back in the 40s, you know, which is like, you know, 80 years ago, people had already talked about this problem. And they said, well, the problem is in free living humans, it's very difficult to simply restrict calories, you know, but eat at the same frequency. Because if you're eating the same frequency, say you have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and that's your routine. And you have the same meals and stuff. Now you're going to eat like, 80% of what you used to eat. Well, it's really difficult to do that because you need to apply willpower because you want to eat a certain amount. You want to eat until you're full. Now you have to eat until be before you're full right. and consciously think about that every single meal for the rest of your life. Well, that's not so easy to do. Wouldn't it be easier, for example, to say skip one meal out of every 10 or something like that. Now you're achieving a 10% reduction in calories 
but it's a lot easier because you simply say, well, you know, I'm just skipping this meal and once in a, a month or once in a year, I'm going to do this. Like, you know, upcoming, we have Lent and Ash Wednesday. So, you know, there are people who are fasting during that period of time. And it's like, well, that's a lot easier as a, as a strategy to do fasting compared to every single meal reducing it because it's just, you know, then you're always thinking about fasting and then eat normally the rest of the time. So that's a way to do it. So longevity calorie restriction has a number of theoretical reasons why it might cause uh, increased longevity. And most people believe it does. It's just, how are you going to get to that end goal? And fasting is just a way to do that. Yeah. I've noticed myself, like when I started getting into fasting is you just get full faster. So, you know, if you skip a meal and you, let's, you usually have two meals a day, sometimes one, let's just say I had one meal for that day. Like you think like, oh, you're going to just, you know, I'm sure you're going to just go crazy and eat everything, <laughs> but you really don't. You, you, I find that I actually just get full faster and, you know, go, go yeah. on with, you know, go on throughout my day. And this is really important because remember if, and we see this all the time, people come back to us in clinic and they say, oh, you know, I think my stomach shrank, you know, it's like, well, remember, first of all, it's a natural thing. And I'll explain how in a second, but if you're getting full faster and therefore eating less and therefore more able to maintain the weight loss or lose weight, well, um, that's really important because now you're working with your body as opposed to calories in calories out where people are just constantly hungry because you're always like, well, I only eat this. I, you know, I only have like 150 calories left. So all I can eat for dinner is like this, right? It's like, you're constantly hungry. And mm -hmm. so you're always fighting yourself. Whereas with fasting, you tend to get full. And the reason is, of course, you're feeding yourself off of your body fat. So if you skip breakfast, and you skip lunch, and your body is now fueling itself from that, say, quarter million or even half million calories of body fat that's just sitting there, right? Now you fed yourself through your body fat, and there's plenty of that. But why would you need to eat a big dinner? It simply doesn't, it isn't necessary. In fact, because you've been fueling yourself through your body fat, you've allowed that through the fasting. Now your body might say, you know what, I only need like, 800 calories because that's all I, I, I have left. Right? right. So that's the point is that's all you're trying to do. And remember that that's what body fat is there for. It's a store of calories for you to use when you have nothing to eat. So you are literally using it for what it was for. And there's nothing unnatural about it. Right. But of course, when I started talking about fasting in 2014, 2015, probably, people thought I was insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, I got so much flack. Yeah. Like, Has that changed a lot? Like, I, like, yeah, because most of the one, it's become so much more popular and topical. And of right. course there was a huge knee jerk reaction from dietitians and doctors. Oh, fasting oh is super bad for you. Yeah. But as soon as they started hearing some of the arguments, it's like, well, one, it's not a fad, right? People have been doing it for thousands of years. Right. Two, it's completely natural. And you have stores of body fat. People are like, huh, well, that's interesting. As in, why do you need to constantly put calories into, into you if you have a huge store of calories? It's sort of like 
if you have, uh, you know, you have a car and you have a gas tank, you fill up the gas tank and, and, and it's full, but you keep pumping. So now you've got gas in your back seat. It's just sloshing around. And somebody <laughs> says, you need to keep going to the gas station and putting in that gas. Right, like, right. why would you want to do that? It's completely insane. And I, I also think too, when you start doing fasting and you've been doing it for a while and your body starts to adapt, you, you, you start to like realize what true hunger is and what it's not. <clears throat> and like I say to myself, I'm like, do I really need to eat? I'm like, I'm not hungry. Now there are times where I do eat just because, you know, I'm not the biggest guy, you know, I've probably nine and a half percent body fat. So it's like, do I want to really go much low, lower than that? You know, probably not. Um, I think I'm at a good point. And, but that leads to the question, are there certain people who maybe <clears throat> shouldn't do fasting? Yeah. And, and, and certainly, uh, if you're malnourished, if you're, um, you know, not, uh, you, you know, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, you don't want to do extended fast, but remember a normal fast, like before people went crazy about this, of course, was if you ate dinner at six and ate breakfast at eight, people would say, well, pretty much everybody can do that. Right. That's 14 right. hours of fasting. Okay, so you're only pushing it by two hours. You know, right. if you do that once, like if you do 16 hours instead of 14 hours, like it's not a big deal. Right. So yes, there are people and certainly children and stuff. You shouldn't do these longer fasts. Like you don't want to go like three or five days because you need the nutrition. Sure. But on the other hand, you know, you think about you think about what people used to do, for example. So remember you're talking in the 60s, say you had a 14 hour fast, 6 p.m. dinner, 8 a.m. breakfast. Now, if you're a naughty boy, you got sent to bed without dinner. So you mm -hmm. went from 12 noon to eight, like you're talking about a 20 hour fast that virtually everybody had done when they misbehave. Like nobody died, nobody got sick, everybody right. was okay. So people go crazy like, oh, 16 hours of fasting is so bad. It's like, mm -hmm. it's a natural thing. It's a balance here between feeding and fasting that's why we have this term in english called breakfast break your fats because you, if you don't fast you can't break your fast so fasting is just a natural part so when people say who shouldn't fast it's like what are you talking about are you talking about a 14-hour fast well every single person right. should be doing that if you're talking about a 40-day fast like yeah very few people should be trying that Sure. Right. So it's like, what are you talking about? So, you know, people go crazy, but it's really just, it's, it's really just a balance here. Yeah. And uh, as far as extended fast go, um, is this something that you implement in your life sometimes, or what is your fasting schedule like? I try and fit it into where I can. So, you know, uh, the 16 hour fast is very easy because I very often don't take breakfast and that, that wasn't a deliberate thing. That right. was just because, I don't know, I, one, I don't get hungry in the morning and two, I'd prefer to sleep. So I don't want to get up and right. make breakfast and clean up and eat and all that stuff. Right. right. So um, that's a 16 hour fast. That's pretty easy. Then sometimes I don't, I, I don't take lunch. So then it's a 24 hour fast. And then sometimes I do do a longer fast because it's easier to do. Like if, if I have, um, something like a vacation or, you know, Christmas holidays and stuff. I won't, you know, I won't be that careful on my diet. I know that because I'm going out and like, you know, you go to your 
your friend's house and they have dessert and it's like, oh, there's cookie and cake and, you know, sure, I'm going to celebrate with you, right? I'm, I'm you know, I, it, it's just part of life. Right. But then to make up for it, it's very easy to do a period after the holidays or after the vacation. Like if you go to a cruise or something like that, you eat way too much. Everybody yeah. knows that. Cruises then, are, yeah. 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 <laughs> cruises are tough on the body. Yeah. Um, but, then, um, but then you can make up for it, right? And that's the point is that it gives you the flexibility. Then I might do a longer fast just to really say, you know, let's, 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 uh, let's at least get most of the way to repairing all that extra weight I put on over the last uh, month. And, and it happens, it, it works for everything, right? It works for COVID. If you put on some weight during COVID, then you do the fast and you lose it. You can do something about it, but it's a balance again. So if you, you know, this is, if you are this, say this is baseline, right? And then you eat way too much, right? For a week because you went on a cruise. Okay. Then you go back to your baseline. Okay, well, when are you going to make up that area under the curve, right? You had right. this period for seven days where you ate way too much, and then you go back to baseline. Well, you can't do that. That's not going to balance. You have to have a period where you eat way too little to balance that period where you ate too much. Otherwise, it doesn't balance. And that's what fasting allows you to do is sort of incorporate that extra, extra bit, do you have any stories regarding individual? I'm sure you have a lot of stories, but regarding individuals who have overcome like type two diabetes and, um, and, um, and sort of how that happened, <clears throat> excuse me, losing my voice. Um, just so people can hear that. <clears throat> yeah, actually we have many, many people who have reversed their type two diabetes. Um, it's, it's quite striking because you know, they're often told that it's chronic, it's irreversible, they have to take medications, then they start fasting and realize that it was never, that was never true. And so then as soon as they start to fast, of course, the sugar starts to go down. So it's very simple, really. So remember, when you eat, your blood sugar will go up, sooner you eat sort of a variety of macronutrients. Um, so if you don't eat, your blood sugar doesn't go up. In fact, it starts to go down because your body's going to start burning some of the sugar. So this is, and your body can store sugar as well, right? So it, it can, your body will sort of, sort of release some of the sugar that's stored up and your body will burn it to, to get rid of it. So over time, we've had probably hundreds of people who have reversed their type two diabetes, like sometimes in a very striking manner. I mean, yeah. um, it's, it's crazy because they've done so much good for their own health, because if you don't have that type two diabetes, you're putting yourself at far lower risk of all of those things, such as heart attacks and strokes and cancer and so on. And it's all from an intervention, which is completely free completely in your own control right. like it's really just up to you you really just need to know how to do it how to do it safely you know somebody to help you because remember even though fasting is a great tool it's not fun so i'd rather <laughs> eat pizza too right it's uh, it, but it's not fun but it is something that you can do for your own health and the people who have done it i've had such Honestly, it's, it's been crazy. Uh, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a paper uh, a few years ago and there are three patients of mine actually. So I, before I knew I treated them with medications and they were on like 70, 80 units of insulin within a month, 
the three of them were off completely, completely off their insulin and for the next year just maintained that as non-diabetic. So they had diabetes for like 10 years I was treating mm. them. In fact, that entire time they could have taken that away if I had known. Now I do, of course, so I recommend it and not everybody will do something about it because there's still a lot of naysayers and stuff. But on the other hand, for those people who want to give it a try, it's worthwhile. The other day, uh, one of the nurses that works with me in the hospital was saying that her son, 20 years old, already had type 2 diabetes, but he started watching some videos and he started doing some of the fasting and cutting down the carbohydrates and reversed his type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And then he says, <laughs> he says to his mom, oh, I started watching this Dr. Fung on YouTube. And the mom was like, hey, that's, that's yeah. our doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's tons of stories. And like it, the sad thing is, you know, kids, isn't it like type three diabetes, they call it now, or like that because kid, kid, for kids that are getting it um, are becoming diabetic so young. Um, uh, type three is refers to Alzheimer's disease. Okay. Some people call it type one okay. and a half is one and a half. Okay. Yeah. So, the, yeah. um, but it's different type one and type two diabetes are actually complete opposites uh, of one another almost. So type one diabetes is too little insulin type two diabetes is too much insulin. Sometimes it's very hard to, to tease out which one it is. The problem is of course, with kids is that in the past, like 90% of the kids with diabetes were like type one diabetes because type two diabetes, which is the majority of diabetes used to be adult one, onset. Right? Yeah. So yeah. it used to be all in the adults because those were the people who had were obese or ate too much sugar and had fatty liver and stuff. And so it used to be juvenile onset versus adult onset. And uh, of course with the explosion in childhood obesity, what happened is that you wound up with a huge number of type two children, right? right? Type two children with type two diabetes, which is on the one hand, unfortunate. On the other hand, it's good news because that is actually a reversible dietary disease. And they have is, time. Yeah. yeah, you have time. And, and, right. and the point is that <clears throat> if you know that type two diabetes is largely a lifestyle and diet disease, and we know this, of course, because if you look at the prevalence of type 2 diabetes, it's gone way up in the last sort of uh, 40 years. So therefore, it's clearly not a genetic problem. Right. Um, then you need to bring lifestyle treatments to it. Instead, we brought, gave them a lot of drugs. So it's like you can't treat a dietary disease with drugs. You need dietary solutions for a dietary disease. Like it's, it's, it's simply as, as, as basic as that. We had been giving drugs for a dietary disease and wondering why we weren't successful at reversing it. It's like, because you never treated the diet. And when you did treat the diet, you gave them a low fat diet with lots of carbs. Do you see more now it's becoming a little bit more mainstream fasting. Do you see more doctors jumping on the bandwagon? Like you've done and like, like you started back in, you know, 2014, let's just say, do you see it sort of creeping into, you know, physicians and and, yeah the physicians almost instantly know what i'm talking about when i start talking about physiology they know what i'm saying is true it's all basic first year medical student stuff right it's all physiology human physiology as Mm. in this idea that you need to eat 10 times a day 
you ask a doctor, I, I can ask a doctor and say, okay, well, tell me physiologically why the human body requires eight meals a day or eight eating opportunities a day. And they know that there is none. They know that there's no research that su- supports that. They right. know that humans can eat eight times a day or once a day. It doesn't matter. That's why we have storage, right? You take food, store some of the food. When you don't have food, you take it out of storage, right? So do you need to fill up that tank eight times a day? It's like, no, you don't have to. Well, what if your storage tank is overflowing? Do you need to fill up that tank at all? Like, no, you don't have to at all, right? So the the physicians actually instantly know what I'm talking about. So there's actually huge uptake from that. In fact, there's a a survey, um, interesting survey, uh, a a year ago where they surveyed like a Facebook group of physicians. And they say, well, what do you do for yourself to lose weight? And this Mm -hmm. was a group of female physicians. They had lost, I think, on average 13 pounds each. And they asked them, what do you do to, to lose weight? And what do you do for your patients? What do you tell your patients to do to lose weight? So what they told their patients, of course, was to count your calories. What they did themselves was intermittent fasting, <laughs> low-carbohydrate diets, and extended fasting. So that's not even something that I use a lot of. Uh, like I use it personally. But again, yeah. this was stuff that the doctors were like, hey, one, I know the physiology. Two, I know it works. Right. So I'm going to do this, even though my, my, you know, the teaching is to say that. So when I tell patients, I'm just going to tell them what I'm told to tell them, which is count your calories and right. cut your calories and exercise more. But when it comes to their own bodies, <laughs> the physicians <laughs> were all fasting because it's like uh, obvious, like don't eat, let your body burn off that body fat. Yeah. It's amazing how your body can just heal when you don't give it anything. Even just like there look, there's some studies coming out, like even just regarding like inflammation and things like that, like, um, people doing extended fast to heal other ways. Um, is this something that you see sometimes like, um, with patients? Uh, yeah, I mean, we do get stories every so often. It's, it's less reliable because some of that inflammatory stuff needs a while to get better. But certain people have, uh, we've certainly heard a lot of stories where people started fasting and then a lot of the inflammatory conditions got better. So thyroiditis was very common and that seemed to get better. So people's thyroids improved. Mm. Sometimes a lot of joint pain got better. So, you know, you yeah. do see this and there is some evidence for this anti-inflammatory effect, mm-hmm. um, but it's not as consistent. Um, and sometimes it does take a while to, to take. Yeah. Well, this was good. I usually ask, uh, at the end of most of my interviews, um, I asked Megan, so I'll ask you what, what one tip would you give an individual, maybe if they're middle-aged 50 and above or so, and they wanted to get their body back to what it once was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, what one tip would you give them? I mean, other than the no snacking, which I think is great uh, advice, is to build a sort of uh, routine. So you want a sort of a daily routine where you say, okay, well, this is my eating window, right? I won't eat outside of that. Um, And and try to move that window up a little bit. So everybody has a tendency to go eat late, but you really want to try and eat earlier. Um, but build that sort of daily habit because it's the habits that make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 
it's it's just like your salary, right? It's what you make day in and day out, not the bonus that you get once a year. So people, you know, they go on a diet and they do it for like three months, but that's not what makes you healthy or not healthy. It's that diet that you eat day in and day out. So you've got to make a decision. And one of the things is to sort of cut out the snacks, kind of consolidate your eating window, but then you can also have weekly routines. So for example, once a week, you might say, okay, well, I'm going to go longer on a Monday because I'm busy. Mm -hmm. uh, you have monthly routines, say once a month, you say, okay, well, I'm just going to sort of do this for this, you know, at the beginning of the month to clean out, or you can have yearly routines. So every year in January, when I know that I'm going to have, you know, there's that sort of holiday period from November to December, mm -hmm. I'm going to incorporate that into my yearly schedule. And then I'm going to do another one after my vacation in June or whatever people take it, because I know, again, it's going to make up. So you have that sort of routine that, that you build into your life so that it's not, uh, you're not always thinking about it. Like, do I do this or do it? It's like brushing your teeth, right? You don't every morning think, should I brush my teeth? It's like, no, it's just a habit, right? So it's like your eating routines have to become sort of habitualized, but it's not, it doesn't mean that that's every single day, right? So it's like sometimes, for example, for Yom Kippur or for Lent or for Ash Wednesday or for, um, you know, uh, Ramadan, it's like, hey, that's just something that you do because it's routine. Every year it comes around and this is what you do. Well, that can be, that, that, that should be part of your sort of maintenance uh, as well so that you don't have to think about it. Like it's about, everybody thinks weight loss is about willpower. It's got nothing, almost nothing to do with willpower and everything to do with your routines. If you rely on willpower, you're simply going to fail because you're going to expend it. And then the minute that that willpower, you stop expending that willpower, you fall into your bad routines and you lose all of your progress. That's the biggest loser thing, right? So you go on this show, you expend a tremendous amount of willpower. The minute life goes on and you have to do this day in and day out, well, you don't have the proper routine to fall back on to keep you healthy as opposed to the sixties and seventies where everybody had these routines and nobody had to expend willpower to stay thin or very few people anyway. Some people did obviously. Right. And I think one of the, great ways to, to sort of not have, or not have to rely on willpower is just don't buy, <laughs> like don't buy certain things, right? We always say, or cook for yourself, or there's a lot of little things that you can do where, um, you take willpower out. Cause if you don't have it in the cabinets, <laughs> you don't have that temptation. Um, but no, I love the, I love your tip regarding building a routine and, and these healthy habits. And, um, I always say, especially with fasting, like you mentioned, like I'll have days where I'm busier those are great days to do fasting um, because you're not thinking you're on the move. And, you know, a lot of times we fast, we don't even realize that you skip a meal. You're like, Oh, did I even, you know, you have those busy days. So that that's a good way to build it around. If you know, every Monday is just a crazy day. That's maybe a good day to maybe do an, you know, a day fast. Exactly. And, and, and these things are great because then after the first three or four times you do it, it's just automatic. Right. right. Today is Monday. It's my day to catch up on email. I'm not going to eat lunch. I'm just going to answer emails. Maybe I'll go home early and take a long bath. Right? right. That's, you know, now you've built your habit and then you get a little reward at the end of it. Right. Because you have that extra time that you took that you didn't have to eat. And, 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 and then everybody knows, right. Hey, 
today is Monday. That's the day that he doesn't come out for lunch because he's <laughs> going through his emails, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, no problem, right? Everybody gets to know it. And that's, that's how it becomes sort of, that's how you maintain that weight loss. Yeah. Well, this was great. Probably could have go on for another hour, but, um, I appreciate you coming on and uh, it's become, it's come full circle because I'm reading your book in 2016 and I'll have you on the podcast. So I appreciate you coming on Dr. Fung. Thank you so much. It's great talk. Thanks for listening to the get lean, eat clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine. And I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.